So 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1 says, But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. The Lord had a a word for Israel. He was telling them that the famine would be over the next day. Tomorrow, about this time, it's all going to be over. And the prices are going to be adjusted. Uh, They're not going to be back to normal. They're not going to be back to exactly what they were. They're not going to be like down completely, but they're going to be adjusted by this time tomorrow. Why is that? It's because there would be an abundance of food. Uh, Food would flood the marketplace, is what he was saying. So this would definitely need to be a miracle from the Lord in order for that to happen. Because just know that in the moment, they were being besieged. They they didn't have any food coming in or going out. Remember that they, they, they resorted to cannibalism. They, they were doing things that is just unspeakable. We need to acknowledge that even though the king had been angry with Elisha and with the Lord for the siege they were under, the Lord, again, keep your eyes on him, nonetheless sent word through Elisha that he was going to bless them by delivering them from the siege and the famine all at once. All in one fell swoop, he was going to do it all. You know, Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Did Israel deserve this kind of mercy? And the answer is no, absolutely not. So even though Israel did not deserve to be delivered from such a situation... God told them that relief and mercy was coming. You see, he refused. Why does he refuse? Because he's faithful. He will will be faithful and not remove his love and turn his back from his people. He has told his people, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love. And there is nothing that they can do that, would cha- that could change that or would change that. God is not like man that he changes his mind. And even though the Lord had sent word to Israel regarding their change of circumstances, there was, there was one man there, a man who was well trusted by the king, uh, the king's officer, a man that the king again depended upon, This man was not one that was believing what Elisha was saying. He he didn't receive those words as God's words. And even if he received them as God's word, he was was, uh, expressing a doubt and an unbelief in the Lord himself. He doubted. Have you ever doubted the Lord? People doubt. But of course, we all know that we ought not doubt the Lord, right? We should take him at his word, trust him, express a faith. It's not a blind faith because we've seen him 
fulfill his word, we've come to experience ourselves, his faithfulness. There's someone who was very close to Jesus who also doubted. If you recall the man who is known as Doubting Thomas. You know, Doubting Thomas, he was a man who was told, he was given the report that Jesus had, had indeed resurrected from the grave. And he said, and I'll paraphrase, unless I see the holes in his wrists and uh, the, in his feet and the hole in his side, then I, I won't believe. And the Lord showed him and he reached out. And he, and he invited him to touch where those wounds were. It was at that point that he believed. You know, John twenty twenty nine says, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And keep in mind God's faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. His faithfulness does not depend on our faithfulness or our faithlessness. He cannot deny himself. Matthew 5.18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What God says will come to pass. But here's this, this man, this captain of the king. He doubted something that is very important for us. As we, as we consider him, we need to consider ourselves and, and how it is that we look to God and his word. Because what he doubted was the power of God. The, the, his very ability to do what he said he was going to do. He doubted even saying, you know, could... God make the windows in heaven. You know, could this be? But God could make windows in heaven. Uh, let me remind you of, of a couple things that the, all of the Israelites were very well aware of. They, they all knew what it was that the Lord did as he delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, brought them into uh, the wilderness and he provided for them manna from heaven and water from the rock. God provided those things. They couldn't explain it, but they had it every single day. No, if, if God wanted to, he could absolutely open up the windows of heaven and, and have food pour down from heaven. He could do that very thing. What we would be familiar in our own doubting is asking how. Now, oftentimes we, we doubt with that, that question. Sometimes we're genuine in asking how. How is it, Lord, that you're going to do this? But, but sometimes it's not because we're, we're genuinely believing and then asking how it is that God's going to do this, but we're asking how is it possible? That's really what we're asking. I don't see a way through this. How is this possible? It just doesn't seem possible. It appears to be that I am in, in, in an impossible situation. I don't see a way out. What happens when you fill yourself with those kinds of thoughts, you begin to have anger and resentment build up. Bitterness of the heart. 
Because you're not sincerely asking, how, how are we going to get through this? Knowing that you're, you're, you're going to get through it. But, but I, I don't believe I can get through this. And it really infects your own heart. It may even lead to despondency, a, a loss of hope. But just because we can't see or understand how God's word could be true in any given circumstance, however difficult it may appear, that doesn't limit God. Nor does our doubt determine whether it will happen or not. You know, Isaiah 5, uh, 55, 9, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the, the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You think about, as we're considering what we have here and doubting and believing, uh, think, about, think about wisdom. You know, wisdom, godly wisdom, biblical wisdom, what that, what that does is it, uh, it undergirds our, our faith. Um, it helps us to apply rightly that which is true. Wisdom, its origin is with God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. A fool says that there is no God, or doubts God, which is all the same, does not trust in God, and does not trust in his word. But a wise person believes God at his word and trusts that it will come to pass. It doesn't matter whether you agree with the person through whom it's communicated or not. If it's God's word, if it's his truth, it will be fulfilled. Well, this man, the captain of Israel's army, that doubted, declared his unbelief. And Elisha responded by letting him know that at this time, tomorrow, you will see it, but you won't eat of it. Again, one can ask, how can that be? After all, this man was a powerful man. Just, just imagine, does it have to do with man? Because God is no respecter of man. This man, even though he was in the position that he was in, could not declare with certainty that this could or could not happen. It had, it had nothing to do with him. Whether he was a king or he was the captain of the king, or it, it doesn't matter. We just simply need to learn to trust God at his word and know that he can and will bring it to pass. But right now, as we look at this, the story shifts to four men who are infected with leprosy. As the story continues, verse 3 says, Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. 
And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. So these four men, these four men were, they were outcasts. Uh, They were forbidden to enter the city and dwell among the rest of the people because of their leprosy. And so they are physically located at the entrance of the city, at the gate to the city of Samaria. So these four guys are sitting there. They know that Samaria is under siege, so there's no food there. They're sitting there at the gate, and they have this leprosy, and they start thinking, well, we can sit here and die. We can go into the city, but that's experiencing famine, so (laughs) pray die there. What do we have to lose? Let's go to the Syrian army, and perhaps if they show us mercy, then wonderful. We at least live, and we can be their captives and, and survive. But if they kill us, then so be it. We die. And that was their thought. They, had, they thought, we have nothing to lose. They decided that they, they were better off taking their chances and going to the Syrian camp to be taken captive by them At least they have a chance of surviving. So just as the sun was going down and it hid just below the horizon at twilight, say at dusk, they went toward the Syrian army's camp. When they came to the edge of it, they realized that it had been abandoned. No doubt they were surprised. They were surprised that no one was there I'm sure they were shocked and entered carefully. You know, they didn't know if they were hiding in the hills or they were planning an ambush. They, they didn't know what was going on. Why, why would it be that they would leave their donkeys and horses and like all their equipment, the tents are still up. Like the camp is as if they were still there. They left everything intact. If they were coming back, when were they going to come back? They weren't sure. You know, we have the benefit of knowing. These four men, they they did not know exactly what was happening. But verses 6 and 7 explain it. What's the explanation? Well, the simple version is the Lord did it. You know, Deuteronomy 12.1 says, These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess. All the days that you live on the earth. Deuteronomy 12.20 says, When the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has promised you. These, these verses, what they're, what they're in no uncertain terms are communicating to the children of Israel. Is that God is going before them. In fact, in Deuteronomy 12.29 it says, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess. In Deuteronomy 9.3, it says, Know therefore today that he who goes before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. The Lord, a consuming fire, the one who is bringing destruction, however it may be, 
And for the Israelites, they were just called to go in and dispossess them. They, they're already defeated. This is indeed what he did here with the whole Syrian army. The Lord opened up their ears just enough to hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army. And with all of this, they thought that Israel had hired a couple other nations, more armies to come and help them to rout the Syrian army. They believed that they were so numerous that they had no chance and they fled for their lives. They abandoned their tents, leaving everything behind. Remember last week when we studied chapter 6 and Elisha asked that the Lord, Lord would open up the eyes of his servant to see that indeed the army of the Lord was more than the army of the, the Syrians. And the Lord did that. He opened up his servant's eyes and he allowed him to see that yes indeed. The army of the Lord was much more overwhelming than the army of the Syrians. Remember also that Elisha had asked the Lord to blind the Syrian army. The Lord did blind the Syrian army. And he, by doing so, allowed Elisha to lead them right into Samaria. But this time... It was just the ears that were opened. This was what the Lord did. Just enough to send the whole Syrian army running for their lives. And just like that, in one moment, the siege was over. It was done. Before that very day, the very day that Elisha said that by this time tomorrow, this is what was going to take place. Before that day was over, the siege was over. It was done. It was over with. But what's interesting, what's kind of ironic is at the, at the very same time, there's no one who is checking. You see everyone in Samaria, that, that afternoon, that evening, they thought they were in the same place. They didn't know that it was over. They didn't know that the Syrian army had, had abandoned their post. They didn't know that they, were, they had run away. They didn't know. No one in Samaria knew except for these four men who were leprous. I had to ask the question, what is God limited by? Please, like, consider this. This this story is not just uh, something that someone made up. This is an actual event. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, certainly you can believe this. What is God limited by? Please understand, if you haven't been encouraged by this yet, that God is able to do anything... And he is not limited in his creativity to fulfill his will. Yeah, I can, I can tell you that he's demonstrated it in, in my life over and over again. But I think it's pretty cool when even in the midst of something like this expansion project that we're going through, 
that, that some of us are, you know, the, the details of how it is that things have been happening. We would have never guessed how, how it is that the Lord has given us favor and how he's doing things. This is God's creativity. This is God's doing. It has nothing to do with, with, with me or anyone else. It has nothing to do. It has to do with, with the Lord. It's, it's all to his glory, to his praise. How can the barren and aged woman become pregnant and birth a child? Sarah knows. Hannah knows. Elizabeth knows. How can a virgin conceive and deliver the Messiah? Mary knows. Luke one thirty seven says, For nothing is impossible with God. Have you given up on something that you believe is impossible? Well, don't do it. If it's the Lord's will, if it's what he desires, then do not give up because God has not given up. Continue to pray. Continue to seek him. Persevere. Stand fast with the Lord. He has not given up. And so therefore, if that is his character, if that's who he is, then we should reflect that in our own lives. We should not give up either. But just imagine though, Israel had been delivered from the siege and the people didn't even know. Again, like I stated earlier, as the four men ate and drank and carried off all kinds of items uh, back to their own camp and they, they were hiding these things. They were emptying the Syrian camp that was, had been abandoned. But at some point in the evening as they were going back and forth, having had their fill of food and they drank, they, they uh, pulled off gold, silver, all kinds of items. At some point, conviction sets in. Verse 9, let's continue, says, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, uh, light, until the morning light, (laughs) punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there. Uh, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Let's stop there for a moment. Uh, the men um, notified the king of what had taken place. Um, they realized that they weren't doing right. As, as they came upon the, the camp and they were taking all these items, had eaten and done everything. But, but the question is, is, why were they convicted? What is it that they were doing that was so wrong? They were the ones that had, that, that had the courage to go to the Syrian army's camp. And they're the ones that had found it, uh, discovered it, abandoned. And they, they could even say that God had provided all of this specifically for them. Right? They, they found it. Finders keepers. Right? Losers weepers. It's just all mine. Obviously, the Lord had all of this for just us. But they knew it wasn't just for them. Again, it was for the sake of Israel. You see, Israel, they were the people that were being besieged. They were the ones that the Syrian army had come against. So this was, this was not something that could be 
just kept all for these four. It was for more than just them. What was wrong? Well, their, their selfishness. You see, it was a, a day of good news. They recognized it. It was a day of good news for all of them, and they were keeping it to themselves and had not told Israel. So they decided to act on that conviction. This is what, these little details are what we need to pay attention to. These, these, these men, these four men, they had taken all this gold and silver and all these goods. I, I'm sure they had plenty of changes of clothing now. They had all of this. And now they were deeply convicted that they needed to share it with Israel. So they decided not to wait until morning. And they went to go tell the king what had taken place and what they found. And I love this because if you consider when, when you first came to the Lord and, and you, you saw, you, you knew how good the Lord was. You experienced his mercy, you experienced his grace, his love, his forgiveness. You realized that you had been forgiven of your sins and that you had been given the hope of eternal life in his presence for all eternity. Like all of that. You couldn't wait to tell other people. Isn't this how we should be with the gospel? Isn't this how we should be with Jesus? Telling more and more and more people. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, The very God whom we have offended has himself provided the way whereby the offense has been dealt with. His anger, his wrath against sin and the sinner has been satisfied, appeased, and he therefore can now thus reconcile man unto himself, close quote. When we come to know that, personally ourselves and we ought to be inclined. We, we ought to be compelled to tell, tell other people. We've enjoyed the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are more than satisfied. We are content. We are filled with hope. We are filled with joy. We then must tell others. We are compelled to proclaim the good news. Jesus has saved me, and he desires to be your Savior also. Well, this is what the four men did. They were compelled. This was, this was a day of good news. They had enjoyed all of what they hadn't had for quite some time. And now they went and they told the gatekeepers of the city of Samaria since they couldn't themselves come into the city because of their leprosy. And the gatekeepers told, uh, turned around and they, they told the king. Verse 11, as we continue, says, Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what, what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, Let some, of, uh, some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that... Those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went, 
after them as far as the Jordan. And behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in, in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. So the king initially was reluctant. He, um, he was suspicious. He thought that perhaps he, uh, the Syrians were drawing them out um, so that uh, in turn, perhaps um, they could overtake the city very easily, especially in their weakened state. And so the king was wise in, in thinking that perhaps this, this was some kind of ambush that the Syrian army was setting up. And so he didn't, he didn't want to fall for it. And so someone suggested very wisely, hey, you know what, just send a few, five horses. And what happened, perhaps he sent five horses with two men. So therefore, it would appear that more people were going out. And so as they went out, um, they, they found out that along the road that the Syrians had taken to abandon the camp, that it was indeed littered with the equipment, it was littered with clothing, all kinds of stuff. It was just like in haste. It looked like, man, they were just, <laughs> they were running for their lives and everything was, was flinging off. It was, just, it was just littered all over the, the, the road there. And so they came back and they told the king, hey, they did. They left the camp. They abandoned the, the, the camp. They are not there. And it definitely looks, so they no doubt reported exactly what we have here. They left in haste. The king verified. It was a sensible thing to do. And the report was verified to be true. So just think about this, though. The Syrian army was so filled with fear that they didn't care care what they left behind. They just fled for their lives when no one was chasing them. Again, what is the Lord limited with or by? Nothing at all. Sometimes we ask, Lord, please put a hedge of protection about us. Let's pray God put a hedge of protection about us. Absolutely. But let's also pray that, hey, make the enemy flee in seven different directions when no one's chasing them. Let them be confused and let them just not understand exactly what's going on. Let them go in, in different directions. Because this is indeed what the Lord can do and what he did do uh, for the sake of Israel and for the sake of his name. God did do this. It was verified to be true, everything that had been told to the, to the king. And, uh, and they sent more people uh, to the camp to plunder it. Verse 16 says, Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel. And two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate, so that he died. As the man of God had said, when the king came down to him, for when the man of God had said to the king, two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria. The captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. That one statement, according to the word 
of the Lord in verse 16. It all happened according to the word of the Lord. The king may have sent a, a group to plunder the camp, and it could have been very specific. He could have sent just a, a specific group of people to go take everything out. But word got out. Word got out to the people in Samaria. And, and, and it was just a mad rush for the gate to leave Samaria, get to the abandoned camp of the Syrian army, and, and take for themselves is this food and these things that they were literally starving for. Now, in the midst of this all, though, the, uh, the king had appointed this captain to oversee the coming in and out of the people through the gate. He assigned him to that post. He said, that's your responsibility. Take care of that. And as people rushed the gate, they ended up trampling this, this man and it says here that he died as the man of God had said. We are reminded that when word was given to him of what was going to happen regarding the food and its sale, it was the captain who did not believe that God could make that happen. He doubted. He, he wasn't trusting of what the Lord was saying through Elisha. He... Um, he expressed an unbelief. And so Elisha told him, you will see it with your eyes, but you will not taste it. You will not taste it. You will not benefit. You will not be blessed by this tomorrow at this time. And we are reminded that God's word is true. It will come to pass. When we are told of God's promises and his blessings, we need to take that to heart. We need to stand on that truth. But listen, there's also the, the, other, the other side. There's also a word of warning. Uh, bad, bad company corrupts good morals. As you sow, so shall you reap. Um, faith without works is dead. I mean, you can go go through scripture and just understand the promises and the blessings, but also take into account the warnings because the warnings are true. They're real. It's not the blessings are true and I walk in God's promises and his, his blessings, but, but these warnings, you know, he's, he's very patient. He's long-suffering. Yeah, but do you want to test that? Do you really want to test that? I don't want to test that. Because this man, he didn't believe, but he did witness the word of God come to be. And did not enjoy the blessings because he did not believe. And he perished in his unbelief. What is God limited by? He's limited by nothing. He can be very, very creative. Just, just think about creation. You look at the details of creation. Like just the, the human in how we were, we were created. Absolutely unbelievable. Amazing. Awesome. You look at the details of, of the animals. If you, if you study like these birds and the different way in which they, 
They were created by the Lord. Absolutely incredible. The ocean and the mountains and just life itself. Truly incredible. He can be extremely, if he can be creative with all of that, he can be creative in your circumstances to bring about his will and, and bring you through something that is seemingly impossible. Because there are many times that no one can explain how God orchestrates most things, but he does, and quite honestly, it's humbling. Micah 6, 8, this is for us. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. I, I personally cannot explain many things, but I believe that God can do anything. Let us simply be found faithful and believe him at his word and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ and salvation through him alone. Let, him, let us serve him together, bringing him glory and look forward to the day in which he either raptures us up to, to be with him for all eternity or just simply be found faithful, serving the Father until, he, until we are taken home at some point. Psalm 34, 8, and I'll leave you with this. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Father, we, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you are long-suffering. Lord, you are patient. Lord, we see here how it was that, that even though the nation of Israel wasn't deserving, Lord, it wasn't that they were obedient or anything like that, Lord, but, but they were your people, and so therefore you had delivered them from uh, this siege that the Syrian army had laid against them. Lord, you did it in such a, a powerful way that it could not be explained outside of you. Lord, I pray that, that we would be found faithful. Lord, that we would simply trust and know that if perhaps we are confronted right now with something that is seemingly impossible to get through, that we would just trust in you. Lord, to just rest in the fact that you have a, a plan for us and that you are with us all the way through. And Lord, that if it's your will to do something that completely blows our minds, Lord, then so be it. Nonetheless, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't question you with doubt, but just how it is that, that, that uh, you're getting us through, Lord. That, that, that we would be faithful, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, um, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, your compassion. And... Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.